the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dear heart, evolutionary science is nothing but veiled teleology, and it's a religion. It is a notion of coping with ultimate answers when you have no ultimate answers. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. We would love for you to be at the worship service live in person, but are not able to invite you at this time due to the current situation. But we can invite you to a live broadcast, and you can find all that information at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled Generation Genesis. It is a part of the Genesis series, and you can find it online and many other messages at reachingyourheart.com. Generation Genesis. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, we bow our heads knowing little of the plan of salvation from our limited human perspective. And yet when we look at the cross, we know enough. We know that at the cross, love and grace met us there. At the cross, infinite grace was poured into our terrible, terrible situation, and that cup cracked, and love has been flowing out ever since for us here in the world today. Oh, Father, as we look at Generations Genesis, help us to see that Jesus was operative in the beginning to bring us to the cross and ultimately to bring us back to Eden. Open our hearts and lives to the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. According to most scientists and philosophers who hold to the tenets of the classical theory of evolution, which presupposes that the world is a closed system in which God cannot act in history or intervene to establish order out of chaos, Eden for them is nothing more than a myth. And I might add, Eden is a bad myth for them. The Eden myth becomes the poor metaphor for describing the transition from brute existence and shallow consciousness to conscious self-awareness that is truly godlike, of course assuming that there is no God. And so this upward movement from the muck to perfection without God somehow in the mix. Ken Wilbur in his book Up from Eden argues with a New Age bias that human consciousness evolved up from Eden, not down. He writes this challenge to the Genesis story. The eating from the tree of knowledge then was not itself original sin. It represented the acquisition of self-consciousness and of true mental reflection. With that evolutionary knowledge, men and women had to face their prior alienation. They still were born and they still suffered, still died, but now they knew it and had to bear just that new and agonizing burden. By eating from the tree of knowledge, not only did men and women realize their already mortal and finite state, they realized they had to leave Eden's subconsciousness and begin the actual life of the true conscious self 
self-conscious responsibility on the way to superconsciousness or actual return. Ken Wilber believes that we are all indebted to an endemic community of apes that somehow in the past, through a series of evolutionary stages, turned their back on subconsciousness and embraced consciousness and the notion of a future. The title of his book really says it all, Up From Eden. The idea is that we emerged up from Eden, not down from Eden. The story of successive generations for Ken Wilbur is nothing more than a gradual increase in development consciousness that arose from the animal world through evolutionary processes to the present world. It is the achievement that is built on the back of centuries of suffering, death, predation, and evolution. Over long ages, he believes that the conscious man and woman developed insane notions of God, mad notions of God in eternity to cope with the frozen fact of reality, the frozen fact of consciousness that we are truly alone in this universe, that there is no God, there is no infinite being who relates with us, there is no real eternity beyond your present state of mind. Over long ages, he believes that the conscious man and woman developed these notions to cope with suffering. Spiritually speaking, up from Eden means man must make his own utopia based on the use of his own wits without God's intervention in history. The Bible teaches that we did not evolve up from Eden, dear heart. It teaches that we did not come up from the muck, that we are not the process of generations of predation and evolutionary give and take. The Bible teaches boldly that the human race came from Eden. It fell out of Eden. It came down from Eden. There has been a decline in human history. For the evolutionists, successive generations have evolved from the simplest form of life in the past to present complex modern man. Homo sapiens, they call him. That man that can think and shape his world with words and logic and wisdom. For the evolutionist, man is getting progressively better, not worse, and the next step in human evolution is essentially a godlike leap into tomorrow. Now, that's not religion. I don't know what is. Dear heart, evolutionary science is nothing but veiled teleology, and it's a religion. It is a notion of coping with ultimate answers when you have no ultimate answers. It is the belief that somehow we will progress beyond ourselves without a God in the mix to help us get there. Up from Eden, Ken Wilber's arrogant claim is the assertion that there is human goodness without God and man lives by his wits to survive in a cold and lonely universe. He writes, they did not get thrown out of the Garden of Eden. They grew up and walked out. Incidentally, for this courageous act, we have Adam and Eve to thank, not blame. The story of Genesis is more than the story of Adam and Eve, dear heart. It is the story of generations. It is the story of how generations fell from grace, declined from grace, and in the end lost grace, and God intervened. And there was a generation's genesis in the book of Genesis. The Bible starts with a perfect man and a perfect woman, a perfect environment, bathed by love, in the presence of God. No divine deficiencies in that Edenic relationship. The fall from Eden was spiritual, mental, physical, and relational. It involved the entire person. It captured the soul and corrupted it in every level. Generations Genesis is what is necessary because of the fall, because generations have declined because of sin. According to the Bible, the first human baby became a murderer. Now think about that. 
the first lovely little darling to be born, to be cuddled in a mother's arms, became the first murderer. It didn't take multiple generations for sin to work its way into the human psyche and predicament. Right there it was with Cain. The transition after Eden was sudden and destructive. The life of Cain represents the river of humanity that chose to leave God early. The river of humanity that chose to turn its back on God and sever a friendship with our forever friend. Turn to Genesis 4, 16. The Bible says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. These are some of the saddest words in all the Bible. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Dear heart, maybe in your life, you've come face to face with God. Maybe you have felt God's discipline in your life. Maybe you have heard sermons about the gospel. You've heard messages of grace delivered to you. And you have looked in the face of God and you have been tempted to do exactly what Cain did. You've been tempted to turn away and leave the presence of the Lord and make it on your own without God. Some of the saddest lines in the Bible right here. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. God offered Cain mercy, but Cain chose condemnation. God called Cain to live a life of sojourning, trusting in God like Abraham, who would later travel from east to west. Cain was to travel from the past and the east to the future and the west, trusting God for a future that he could not create. But Cain chose to journey east and defy God. God cursed Cain from the ground, but not from himself, not from his presence, not from his a relationship with him. But Cain cursed himself in relationship to God and then left God voluntarily. Cain represents the person who is too proud to be forgiven, too proud to believe that God can come and pardon the most heinous kind of sins, too proud to live with God and accept salvation on God's terms. In the Genesis account, the east represents the beginning of things at the dawn of time. Because Cain refused to be forgiven and to live by grace under God's discipline, Cain became the man who journeyed east. Dear heart, if you're tempted to journey east, turn around. Go right back into the face of God and face the future unafraid. You see, Cain became the man who lived in fear for the rest of his life because he would not give his past to God to pardon. The east represents the rising of the sun, the beginning of things. Cain went back into the past. He allowed the murder of his brother to define him for the rest of his life. He never faced his sin with God in honesty. And as a result, you know what happened to Cain? Cain lived in the east till the day he died. And there is no west, no future, no setting sun, no open door at the end of time to Eden for the man who chose to live in the east. Cain became the man who defined his future by an unforgiven past. Some of the saddest lines in Scripture, Cain left the presence of the Lord. The story of Cain is more than the story of Cain. It would be nice if it stopped there, but it does not. It is the story of generations Genesis without God. It is also the setting for a generations Genesis with God, a new beginning for humanity because of promise. Genesis 4.17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Now, it's interesting. God told Cain he would be a sojourner and a wanderer. 
But Cain told God he would settle down and be the architect of his own future. He would build a city. So the very first thing we see Cain doing is rejecting God's judgment on Cain. Refusing God's plan for Cain's life, which was discipline, but grace. A chance to know God. In verse 17, the Bible says he had a son. He built a city for his son. Now, you look at that and you say, wow, Cain's probably a good daddy. It it does not say, if you'll notice, he was led to build the city. It does not say he built the city and dedicated it to God. It's clear that Cain did not want to follow God. And so God evidently didn't want him to build a city. He built the city because the city represented his defiance of God's judgment, his denial of God's loving discipline in his life, and so God had nothing to do in the dedication of that city. Cain was a farmer, and God had just cursed the use of the ground in Cain's life. A farmer, now think about this, a farmer, unlike a hunter, lives in the future. A hunter lives for the now, the thrill of the kill, getting your food today and eating it on the spot. But not so with a farmer. He plants today for an uncertain tomorrow. He invests in the ground his labor and logic, and the future yields a harvest that secures the future for his family. By creating a city, even though God had cursed the occupation of farming and his relationship to Cain, by building and creating a city, Cain took two steps forward and claimed control over every aspect of his future. He moved from farming, which is an attempt to control the future, to controlling all of human destiny with a city. In this sense, Cain is the father of modern civilization. G. Leonard wrote in his book, The Transformation, he said, Thus, the pyramid builder is a farmer, and so is today's salaried breadwinner with his profit sharing and health insurance and retirement benefits, the penitent fingering rosary beads, the hymn singer, the doer of good works are, without exception, farming. In other words, what he's saying is this, is that we have a way as people of ordering our lives so that we hedge against an uncertain future. We invest in tomorrow by trying to secure the future by little acts here right now. And there are people who do the same thing with religion who feel that if they do the right works, they put the right amount of money in the offering plate, if they say the right things to the preacher and they pray the right prayers to God, they hedge against a dark tomorrow. Dear heart, we are all by nature farmers. We are by nature aligned with Cain if grace does not come into our life. God told Cain he would live in fear all his life. And Cain's fear is a settled fear of a future he cannot trust to God or chance or to providence. It's a future that he cannot surrender to God and lean on God to lead him into. Perhaps Jesus had Cain in mind in Matthew 6.25. Let's take our Bibles and turn there and read it together. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. There's nothing wrong about planning for the future if you plan with God and in the end you trust God for the outcome. 
Jesus is saying that the future is only secure in a solid relationship with God that depends on God's grace. The person who in the end prospers in God's plan is not trying to manipulate his way into prosperity. He's walking the road that he's on with God. He's not forcing his life into a groove to get where he wants to go. Jesus is saying that the future is only secure in God's kingdom, not our city. Seek God first in his kingdom. That means his city. Abraham, by faith, looked for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He didn't worry about tomorrow. He lived as a sojourner in the land of promise, trusting God for his tomorrow and his today. Well, Pastor Michael Oxentanka will be back here in just a minute with the continuation of Generations Genesis. It's a part of the Genesis series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the Genesis series. Also wanted to remind you that we have a worship service in streaming format that is live at the time, and we're not able to invite you to be there in person. Hopefully that will not be much longer before the COVID-19 situation is behind us, and we're praying for that, and you'll be able to attend once again in person. But for now, we've made it available for you in streaming format live, and you can find it at reachinghearts.org slash video, reachinghearts.org slash video every Saturday at 11 o'clock. There's also some previous messages available there for you. Let's continue now with Generations Genesis. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko once again. Cain said, forget God, leave his presence, build your own city. I will build my future on the back of my son. I will, by my wits, survive in a difficult world. Worry about today and tomorrow and marshal all your wits to hedge against an uncertain tomorrow. How many of you feel a little sympathy toward Cain? Think Cain's all that off the mark of the modern person? Not at all there is a direct relationship between the kind of lives we are inclined to live and what we see Cain doing right here in this story. He is the modern man. He is the archetype of what we find in the present age. He may be you, and you don't even know it. Cain is the inverse of Jesus' teaching of faith in God and daily trust in God for everything. In Genesis 4.17, Cain builds a city and names it after his son Enoch. Now, this is not the Enoch who was translated to heaven without dying. In fact, that Enoch is in the line of Seth. This is an Enoch in the line of Cain. A Chinese proverb says, If you want happiness for a lifetime, help the next generation. Now, how many of you think, by looking at this text on the surface, that Cain is doing a good thing? Building a city for his son. Doesn't that kind of feel good? Doesn't that seem like that's a noble little thing for him to do? Well, I'm investing in my kids. Now, on the surface, it looks like Cain is doing good for his children. It it looks like he is planning for the future. You know, opening up an IRA for the kids, an investment plan for the future. I mean, responsible parenting here, right? The name Enoch literally means dedication or inauguration. Cain names his city after his son Enoch deliberately. Cain represents the parent who places the burden of his mistakes on the son or daughter's back. Cain places the burden on the shoulder of his children to redeem his name and give him a future. God cursed the ground that Cain would till. So now Cain moves on and farms the future with his children's future. He plants his son as a city and his son becomes the seed for his future, his hope, his reversal of God's judgment on Cain. You see, it's possible as a parent to live out your fantasies, to live out your insecurities through your children's lives and to pass a legacy of self-doubt of condemnation and fear to the next generation that is hard to overcome 
in fact, may never be overcome. That's what Cain is doing. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. You know, dear heart, if you make it your business to trust God with your todays, to depend on God for your tomorrows, you're going to have secure children. But if you're fretting and worrying about whether or not you're going to have enough money in the bank, whether or not there's going to be a retirement program at the end of your life, and you move through your kid's childhood just worrying about the outcome of your life, you will sow a sense of insecurity in your children. In the end, they will not have God as their refuge. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. So the man who was afraid to trust God had nothing to offer his son for safety but a city. The man who would not start with God and trust God used his son, manipulated his son to start over without God. So he named his son Dedication or Inauguration. He named the city after his son. Genesis 4.18, To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael. And Mahujael, the father of Methushiel. Methushiel, the father of Lamech. Now, I see some of you sleeping. How many of you get tired when you read genealogies? Oh, those genealogies, those slow-moving lines of the Bible that seem to have no meaning. Well, I'll tell you, when I read these lines, I get energized. Because I see dramatic theology coming out of these lines. So I'm going to ask you to kind of take your pulse here. Make sure you're still alive. And hang in there, because I'm going to move through the content of this. And I'm going to need your focus to do it. Enoch had a son and named him Irat. Now, the oldest city in Sumer, Sumer is that pre-Babylonian world which reflects the antediluvian world's consciousness. Sumer had a city that was named Iridu, which is equivalent to the name for Irad in Hebrew. Irad's name seems to be a play on the Hebrew word for city and wild ass. The Egyptian word goat possibly comes from the same root as well. So two concepts are coming together, out of control and city. Eridu represents a city that's out of control like a wild ass. At Eridu, archaeologists discovered an alternate Genesis story that portrays the deity as a distant and dark God. At Eridu, God was someone who must be appeased in order to bless his people. In fact, archaeologists have dug deep and have found a Genesis story written on clay tablets called the Eridu Genesis story that shows a different tale than the one we find in the Bible. I'd like to read just a very few excerpts of that story to you. The god Ninter was paying attention at last, understood. Let me bethink myself of my humankind, all forgotten as they are. Now, an indifferent deity, here pictured, who forgot about humanity until suddenly he realized not to. And mindful of mine, Ninter's creatures, let me bring them back. Let me lead the people back from their trails. May they come and build cities and cult places that I may cool myself in their shade. He, the king, regularly performed to perfection the august divine services and offices, laid bricks of those cities in pure spots. They were named by name and allotted half-bushel baskets. You see the agricultural intensity here of their society and their city? The firstlings of those cities, Iridu, which means Irad. Now think of this. You can hear Cain's fascination with the ground in all this. Allotted half-bushel baskets. The fascination was somehow pulling out of the earth more than you can. In the Eridu Genesis account, cities were built to secure favor with the gods to ensure a secure harvest. To manipulate the future, they built a temple complex to make the rain fall. 
Eridu was a city out of control, spiritually speaking. It was a city that tried to manipulate God so God would bless them. An indifferent God, an uncaring God at that. According to the Sumerian religion, the city of Eridu was the first city built before the great flood. There were five cities, according to this Genesis account. Built before the flood, this is the first. Now, if that is true then the city named after Cain's son Enoch failed. It never took. It never made it to the memory whereby it was lodged in history. The man who put the burden on his son's shoulders to save his reputation. Cain raised a son whose name was Enoch. Enoch had a son, Irad. And Irad built a city that was out of control like a wild ass. Spiritually out of control, unable to rely on God for the future. Irad had a son, and the Bible says they named him Mahujael. That sounds like something out of Planet of the Apes or something. Mahujael. His name literally means blot out Yahweh as God. Macha is to blot the Yah. The J there is Yahweh, and the word El is God. Blot out Yahweh as God, or more simply, blot out the Lord as God. Imagine naming your son something like that. He comes out and you, you're passing out the chocolate bars because, you know, we don't give out those uh, cigars, right? And as you're passing out the chocolate bars, you suddenly are moved to name your son. Blot out the Lord as God. That's his name. I mean, that's how bad it got by this time. That's how deeply encrusted Cain's sin had become, generationally speaking. Well, thanks for listening today to the first portion of Generation Genesis. This Generation Genesis, and you can find the entire message without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Look for the Genesis series. I would like to be able to invite you to the worship service live in person, but at this time, due to the current situation, I am not able to do that. But I am able to invite you to a live broadcast so you can watch from the comfort of your home. Just navigate to reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. You'll find previous messages there as well, and you can watch it live Saturdays at 11 o'clock. And we would invite you to go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel where that link will take you. Again, reachinghearts.org slash video. In the meantime, go ahead and stop by reachingyourheart.com to listen to this broadcast again. And we want to let you know that we do appreciate you listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.